Awesome. So we just wanted to highlight one more time. Um, if it's already been said too much, I'm sorry. But we put these uh, papers on the wall, both on both sides in here for the adults. And then there's one for the kids in the hall on the back. Um, and it just has a prompt on it. And uh, it's, it's meant to go along with the theme today. So we just want you to be processing and thinking about what thrills you most about Jesus' birth and about his return. I think that's something that we often fail to think about, even at Christmas. And this is a way to really minister to other people. It, I would encourage you not only to write some of your own thoughts, but I would encourage you to go read some of the other ones. I know it's hard because it's small and you got to cram around there. But um, I would hope that those that didn't get a chance to do that before would do that after. And we'll try to keep those up a little bit for people to interact with those. And uh, yeah, was there anything else I missed? I don't think so. Sweet. So real quick before I forget... I wanted to introduce, we've done this before, it's been probably two, three years, but um, we have this Advent candle over here. Raise your hand if you're familiar with the Advent candle. Oh, okay, a lot more people than I thought. I was not familiar with it. I don't even remember doing it, but uh, it's really neat. And so um, it's, it's a very liturgical thing and there's lots of ways to go about it, but really the purpose is to light a different candle each week of, of Advent Um, that really highlights a theme within the Christmas story. And so what we're going to be doing this series, I'll talk more about it when I get back up and do my sermon, but we're going to be highlighting hope, love, joy, and peace. And so each week I'm going to have a different person or a family come up and light the candle and do a reading along with that theme and then say a prayer over our church. And then we'll keep that lit through the service. And hopefully we don't burn our building down. and uh, so, you know, if, for those of you that maybe aren't even familiar with Advent, Advent is really all about anticipation. It's about celebrating Christ through the whole month of December and focusing on His story and what that means for us and looking forward to the future. We say that, I think, a lot up here from the pulpit of um, look at these talkers up here, women. Oh, my gosh. That was not sexist. Just those women. Just them too. Not women in general. Um, I don't even remember what I was talking about now. But uh, that's what happens when I try to be funny. What? Yeah. But um, so it's just a time to anticipate because I think we, we say this a lot up here in the pulpit of like, you know, Lord, come quickly. We say that in different ways. But I just wonder, have you ever thought that? Do you ever think and groan as nature groans for the coming of the Son of Man? Do you ever groan for the coming of the Son of Man? That's what this is all about because we know things are going to be a lot better when He returns. Amen? So I'm going to let Debbie and Joe and Kai come on up here and they're going to do the lighting and the reading. So I'm really excited about this series. Um, Basically what we're going to do, you know, we sung that song, O Holy Night, And that's a song I've been listening to a lot this season, and Jamie and I have been having some conversations about it. And the more we listen to it, there are just a lot of lines in that that were really powerful. And so we decided to take a different line from that song and correspond that to these themes of hope, love, joy, and peace. And so this week we're going to do hope, and the line is the thrill of hope. And I think that's so fitting, because hope is something that should thrill us. It should thrill us. Um, Next week is love and it's going to be a soul felt its worth the week after that is joy a weary world rejoices and the week after that is peace his gospel is peace and so you're going to get to hear from Rhett you're going to get to hear from Layla Duke and um, you're going to get to hear from Ronnie the last week so I'm really excited to hear from all of those people I'm especially excited to hear from me today but uh 
What a lame joke, but it's always funny. <laughs> Easy. When I try hard, it's not funny. When I do the easy, like, low-hanging fruit, you think it's funny. Yeah, so something that we were, Clay was mentioning this. He had been talking with Ronnie. This is something that Ronnie talks a lot about. But when we had track the other evening, we were talking about a line from the song Joy to the World. I'm just full of songs lately. But uh, we used the line out of that song, Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room, just to talk about this coming season and preparing our hearts and minds for what God wants to do in us and through us. And Clay was sharing just this idea and this truth about hope being an emotion. And I think too often it's, it's not a real emotion for many of us. We talk here about what is hope. Hope in the Greek is about expectation. I hope the sun is going to come up tomorrow. That sounds silly, but that's often what the Greeks meant when they talked about hope. It was a different concept in, in a lot of ways. And often when we think about what Jesus is going to do, we're not filled with that same sort of surety, are we? And so it's important that this is not some abstract detached idea from our hearts, but that it's, it's real and it engages us on an emotional level. You know, when you think about Christmas, to me, as much as I loved getting presents as a kid, looking back in hindsight, the thing that I loved was the anticipation. Yeah. You know, the gift is sweet, but waiting for the gift in some weird way is sweeter, isn't it? And I do think Jesus as the gift will be the sweeter thing. So I don't know if that makes complete sense here, but I, I do say the anticipation is great and we get a foretaste of the kingdom of God now, don't we? We all experience it at different levels and we engage with it at different levels and it's a, it's, a, it's a small foretaste and it should excite us. I'll talk more about that in a bit. The, the origin of the song, if you're not familiar with it, kind of has a strained past and I don't really want to get into that, but if you want some resources, I'm happy to, to send, a, send them to you. I, I think the, the authors of the song probably aren't who you would expect them to be. Um, and I think this song was even banned for amount of time. But I think that God uses weird and weak and broken things of the world to really bless, doesn't he? And that, it's a cool thing that this song is here today and still being sung. But there's a really cool story that I read about this song. On Christmas Eve in 1871, during the Franco-Prussian War, an, armed, an unarmed French soldier jumped out of the trenches, walked onto the battlefield, and sang the first line from O Holy Night in French. After he sang all three verses, a German soldier emerged and sang a popular German carol, From Heaven Above to Earth I Come. The story says that both sides then joined together in singing an Austrian carol. The battle stopped for the next 24 hours in honor of Christmas Day. Temporary peace was initiated by O Holy Night. That's neat. I don't think the power of that is that these men just got swept up in the melody. I don't think they just got swept up in the moment. You know, if you've ever read anything about war or you watched, you've watched a documentary or a movie, you know how just gruesome it is. I've been reading this book um, called Against All Odds um, about these four different guys from the same unit that all uh, earned the Medal of Honor. And you know, there's a lot of gruesome stuff in there, but one of the things that was just striking is how some of these men you know, are, are waiting and hoping to get, you know, uh, wounded so they can go home. You know, they're waking up each day praying that they've got trench foot or something, you know, so they can go home and see their family. And that's sad to me. 
That's sad. So you can imagine the condition of these men um, in, in just complete misery, in complete hell. Something powerful would have to overtake them to, to, com- to unify in some form or fashion with the people that are shooting at them and throwing grenades at them, right? What is that? What, what, what can answer for that? And I think that that is Jesus and what He offers. That although many people have a hard time believing in Jesus and the hope He offers, because it seems too good to be true, but we still yearn for it. What accounts for that? I don't think anything it can, can account for other than Jesus and that He made us for Himself. And that's why we long for Him. You know, I didn't know who was going to be here today, so the sermon may not be for you. If you've never been short on hope, this sermon is not for you. If you've never lost hope due to loneliness, lack of control, amidst chaos, or, uncle- or an unclear purpose, this sermon is not for you. If you've never lost hope due to loss, unfulfilled needs, or shame and regret, this sermon is not for you. If you've never experienced the hope-crushing weight of bitterness and resentment, temptation, fear, or defeat, this sermon is not for you. But if you need hope, if you need something to live for, if you desire the hope that leads to an ever-present anticipation of the God and His world to come, I would hope that you would listen closely. This is going to be brief. So my, my, my three points today are hope of endurance, hope of refinement, and hope of fulfillment. So hope of endurance, this is an easy one for me to kind of talk about. Just in, God's got me in that life stage right now. You know, you, you guys have been terrific checking on me and Jamie Ann and the kids. And I, I've said it a bajillion times, as have many others. I don't know how people go through tough stuff without community, without Christ, without hope, without the conviction that everything ultimately will be okay. You know, for those of you that don't know, we still have a baby in the NICU. Baylor got to come home. Brooks is there. He just had a tracheostomy. And, um, you know, that's where they make an incision in your throat here so he can breathe. And he's got to wear that for one to two years. And it's just a scary deal. I'm, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, many of you can imagine it's scary. Anytime your kids go through anything, it's scary. Something of this magnitude you know, your mind is thinking about fear in a rational way and often a very unrational way. I I want for my kid, just like we all want for our kids, we want them to be happy and healthy and normal. And I'm thinking, how is this going to hinder him developmentally? You know, is is he going to be able to run and play? Is is this going to affect his voice? Um, You know, all of these things. And generally, you know, the news we're getting back is good on all of that, but you just don't know. And there's plenty of parents that are going through this with much far worse conditions than we are. So there's certainly a lot to be, to be thankful for, but it takes endurance to get through tough stuff. You know, we're looking through a major, we're, we're, we're staring down the barrel of a major life shift here. He applies for 24-7 care because he requires 24-7 care. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to find nurses 24-7. We've got to find nurses that are good and we've got to find them in our area. Um, that's a whole nother hurdle. But the fact that he has to have two people watching him at all times is just a life-changing moment for us. And uh, it's easy to get discouraged at that. You know, I don't, I like being around people, but I don't really want to adopt a new person into my home. I want to be with my family. I want to be with my kids. And I'm not ready for a change like that. Um, But the other side of the coin, I can be thankful that I have that resource because many people have gone through this and don't have that. 
um, as an option at all or have the money for it or have the insurance. And we have all of that, thank goodness. Um, But I know that it's going to need a lot of endurance that only comes from the Holy Spirit. For me to be who I need to be for my family and my kids, I'll talk about this in a bit, but you know how, how it is when trials come. Man, it just pushes on all the, the right nerves, right? Or the wrong nerves, depending on how you look at it. But man, my, my, my impatience, my anger, my selfishness, um, my uh, just nasty responses, all that kind of stuff has just been coming out more and more because I'm just stretched thin and my family has to be the one to bear the blunt of that. And I need endurance, um, certainly, and they need endurance to deal with me. But, um, you know, I've been thinking about Galatians 6, 9, where he just says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. I don't know about you, but this is a scripture I think about a lot. Ronnie's had to remind me through the years on multiple occasions, you know, that we do what we do for God. First for God and then for people. Because as somebody that's in ministry, a lot of my discouragement often, certainly I'm riddled with my own, just for my own lack of growth in my own self, but a lot of my discouragement comes from just my lack of, uh, I guess, just seeing what I want to see, you know, the fruit that I want to see born in the people that I minister to. Often I have a hard time seeing it or I don't see it all together. You know, I've shared with you guys here multiple times doing teen ministry for whatever that was, 10 to 15 years. I got to spend a lot of time with teenagers. And I can look back now in hindsight and see that a lot of them aren't even in church anywhere right now. That's a very discouraging fact to think I wasted my time. But I realize now I didn't waste my time. Did I do it for them? Yeah, but I did it first for God and I can be pleased with what I did because I did it for God. And if I lose sight of that, I'll get discouraged real quick because I'm looking for the outward stuff and I just don't even see that very well and I can't even see any of the inward stuff. But there's going to be a time where all of that is shown to us. And that's a very sobering thought. It can be something we look forward to with great anticipation and excitement or it can be something that we fear rightly so because we've squandered our time. And I would hope that we are a people that don't want to do that. And I think largely we are a people that don't do that. But don't grow weary. I think about Jesus. Jesus didn't grow weary in doing good. If there was ever a man pushed to the max, it was Jesus. Because he was perfect. And he was, he was uh, betrayed by all of his closest friends. He often was misunderstood. And on top of that, you know, they offended him to the deepest core of his being by saying what he was doing wasn't good. For those of you that have have tasted some of that offense, you know just how deep that cuts. I know for me, a lot of my criticism, and I think frustration, impatience, pride, often is with people because I don't feel understood. I don't feel valued. I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel respected. That was Jesus' whole path. So it's good for me to experience some of that. It's good for me to learn that. I can handle that and He can refine me through it. But Paul urges these Galatians not to grow weary because it's so easy. You know, we lose sight that our work matters. Is our work any good? Is it bearing any fruit? But it is. And you have to leave that to the Holy Spirit and be okay that although you don't know enough, your strategies aren't good enough, you step on people's toes and you offend while you're trying to do good, The Holy Spirit is always at work in all of that, before, during, and after. 
And that fruit is going to be born. And he is pleased with the, the posture of your heart that you want to go out and bear fruit for him. Too often we're just thinking still of this God in the sky that's looking down and only looking at our product. And that's not the truth. He's the God that sees our hearts and knows our hearts. Hope of refinement. I don't think this is often something that we long for or hope for, maybe in the ways that we should. I was thinking just about the kingdom of God and how much I love it. And, and again, another simple point, but one of the things I love about it is that it's, it's here. It's begun. It's not fully here, but it's begun. And I get to be a part of that every day. Every time I walk into track, every time I walk into Sunday morning, I'm excited to be, about a, be a part of the kingdom of God because I know I'm going to be noticed. I know people are going to love me. I know people are going to appreciate me. They're going to ask me how I'm doing, if I'm looking down, and they're going to take care of me, and they're going to be willing to bear my burdens. I love that life. Do you love that life? I love that life. I was thinking about Seinfeld. Do we have any Seinfeld fans? Yeah, so half of you, not even half of you will get this reference, but go find it on YouTube or I'll send it to you. Seinfeld's one of the greatest shows in existence, second to The Office. But there's this episode about the Mackinac peaches. Anybody know about that? It's a good one. This is going to be a weird illustration, but try to follow with me. The Mackinac peaches, so uh, Newman and uh, Kramer are obsessed with these peaches that Jerry says come from Oregon and only ripe two weeks of the year. And so they're going craving mad over these things, telling everybody about them, trying to force them to try them. And uh, at the end of this, this uh, episode, George, if I remember correctly, he's dating this woman. You know, there's always something wrong with all these people that they date in their minds. Nobody's ever good enough. But this lady's definitely weird. But she like eats after him on all of this weird stuff. So at the end of this episode, he's claiming he ate the last Mackinac peach of the season and puts the pit in front of him on the table and she takes it and puts it in her mouth to suck on it. It's really disgusting. But um, I was just thinking about that that's kind of how we should be with the kingdom of God. That we're, 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 I know, weird, it's weird. It's weird. But we should be raving mad about the taste of the kingdom. That we would be willing to suck the pit just to get a taste of it. It's the weirdest sentence ever said about the kingdom of God. Don't try to remember that or quote me on it. But That's why I really like this idea of thrill. That we should be people that are thrilled with what God has done. We're thrilled because, you know, if you've ever had a really good peach or fruit of any kind, you know that it just kind of like brings to life taste buds you didn't even know were there, right? And you get to experience something new that you didn't think was possible. We have a foretaste of something most succulent and most vibrant. Something that, it, like I said, excesses taste buds we didn't know we had. It brings our mouths and buzz our mouths and buds to life in a way we have yet to experience. And that foretaste, foretaste should have us running crazy looking for that taste, letting all of those that we know and love that we have the best peaches in town. But the kingdom of God is no mere peach. We taste and experience this kingdom more and more as we participate more fully in it. And we participate best by allowing God to make us into what He originally designed us to be. In a way, we can be like a tasty Mackinac peach for others. They get to taste and experience what kingdom life is all about. 
and their experience with us should leave them wanting and craving for more. Amen? You know, unfortunately, due to the curse of the fall, refinement is just not a fun process. I was thinking about Isaiah 48.10. He says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I think many of us know this. Some of us don't. Some of us have resisted the touch of the refiner's hand. We love the comforting touch of God. We often don't love the other touch. But it's just as important, probably more important. Uh, given our context living within the fall. But the thing about the refiner's fire is that it's not like any fire. It's not like a forest fire. It doesn't destroy. It doesn't burn to a crisp. It refines. It purifies. It burns off the impurities, but then it leaves what is best, most valuable. And as a result, it leaves something that is more valuable. And that's what He does with us. We serve a God, a living God, that restores broken things. And not only is it God that restores broken things, He makes new things. New things of immeasurable value. We lose sight of that. We start to turn from affliction. We run from discomfort and pain. We run from every trial because pain is now merely evil and comfort is good and is king. And is that not the message that our world is teaching? You deserve every comfort. In these moments, we have forgotten that we serve a God who works through every malady and every affliction. We serve a God that turns all things meant for evil, all things meant for our destruction, on their head and uses them for good. That's why I'm able in this moment to still rejoice in who God is amidst Brooks still being laid up in the hospital and not knowing what his future is going to look like. My God is good. Many of you have dealt with things much heavier than what I'm dealing with. Certainly if you've lost a baby or you're dealing with something or have dealt with something much heavier than I have. But I want you to hear from me that I believe my God is good. I was talking with Ronnie the other day. I don't usually like to share like personal texts and stuff, but we were just going back and forth and he was encouraging me and I just kind of got filled with this thought that I want faith to come easy. I know it doesn't, it's hard, it's work, but I want it to come easy because I serve a God who is most perfectly faithful. It should come easy. I almost didn't want to read this because I, I couldn't remember where I found it, but I'm just going to read it anyway because it's kind of coming to my mind right now. But uh, on an article I read, and I'll just quote this, it says, what is the thrill of hope? Ask Abraham who received the promise of a son in his old age. Ask Noah who survived the flood and started the human race over again. Ask Moses who parted the Red Sea. Ask the children of Israel who walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Ask Joshua who watched the walls of Jericho fall. And all they had to do was march around it and blow on horns. Ask Daniel who spent the night with pre-incarnate Jesus in a den of lions without one single scratch. Ask his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went into the fiery furnace. But when the king looked, there were four, not three men, walking around in the flames, unharmed, unburned, and not even their clothing were singed. Ask Mary, who was told by an angel that she would be the mother of the Son of God, while still a virgin. 
Ask the thief on the cross who Jesus promised would be in paradise with him. In every one of these, the thrill of hope is Jesus. He's the reason we have hope. The reason we can rejoice when we're weary. From the moment God promised Adam and Eve in the garden a way of redemption, to the angels announcing his birth, to the shepherds in a field outside of Bethlehem, the thrill of hope is Jesus. That's what gets me through this. I believe Jesus is good, and I believe everything's going to work out okay. And even if, even if it doesn't, I believe that all things work out to the good of those that love the Lord. Amen? And I long for that day. I long for that day, and I believe that that day is better than anything any of my days could ever amount to. And the older you get, the more you start to realize that, and you stop longing for the things of the world and hoping Christ doesn't come until you get to experience those things. You just got it so wrong. Point three, hope of fulfillment. You know, we, we talk a lot about the idea of restoration, and this is about the same thing. We have a God that at some point is going to come back and He's going to restore all things. He's going to wipe away every pain, every tear, and we will get to live with Him in perfect harmony forever. And I believe that. I believe that. But I've been thinking lately about just this word fulfillment. All of our behaviors are about seeking fulfillment in some form or fashion, I think. The jobs we take, the hours we work, the homes we buy, where we buy them, the hobbies we take up and invest in, the way we dress ourselves, the way we talk, the way we walk. Everything, I think, in some form or fashion comes back to fulfillment. And they're not all bad seekings. Many of them are selfish um, or vapid. But I think part of it is that it's just too easy to believe that God can't fill all my wants and needs. That He doesn't completely fulfill. But He does completely fulfill. I think that we're going to get to a place someday where we're all going to have this aha moment before God and we're going to say, aha, that's what I've been looking for. Why was I looking for it in that place? That doesn't make any sense. I think of Revelation 21.5. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. All nature groans waiting to be delivered from, be delivered from the curse of the fall. And we as God's people have to be, if we are His people, we have to be people that wait in groaning for Him to come back. That we are people that are aware of and we sense the brokenness of the world and that we don't inculcate ourselves in these bubbles trying to pretend everything is okay. And too often, Christmas season is solely about that. This is a time for me to protect my family, my family traditions, and make sure that my family is all of their needs and everything is complete and we're satisfied and we can get the break and the rest that we need and then go back to our lives. Rather than realizing Christmas is all about waiting for Christ to return to a broken and hurting world. We have thousands of kids around us laid up in hospitals that are sick and hurting this season. And parents that are not worried at all about presents, they're worried about their kids. Wondering if their kids are going to be alive tomorrow. We can't be people that shield ourselves from that stuff. We need to be people that are in prayer for each other, in prayer for the hurting that, that we don't even know in other nations and in other countries. 
I just kind of want to end right here. I was thinking about this idea of progressive revelation. It's not some fancy idea. Many of you maybe have thought about it before. It's just that throughout history, God has increasingly revealed himself. And I, I think it's easily lost on us at times. You know, this idea where much is given, much is expected, I think could apply here. That we live in a time after the historical event, in fact, of Jesus' birth and death and resurrection. So much of history was longing for that. They had no idea what the Messiah would exactly look like or when he would come and what that would entail. Many of their ideas were, were lesser than or wrong. Yet we get to live in a time where not only that has happened, we have so much of the interpretation of the community and the testaments of what went down where I think God expects something greater of us. If the people before Jesus could be people of hope, we, the people after Jesus came, God came in Jesus, very definitely need to be people of hope. Does that make sense? So I think that there's a great calling and a great responsibility to recognize that we have been given a great gift. We know who God is because Jesus is the perfect representation of His being. I was thinking, I want to leave you just with a couple scriptures kind of for your reflection. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. I want to refer to Isaiah 46.9-10 if you're taking notes. He says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land a man to fulfill my purposes. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. God has the authority and the freedom. He has all the wisdom in the world. When He says something's going to happen, He's going to make sure it happens. And if there's anything that we see throughout the narrative of Scripture, that's what we see. God's ultimate will is going to be done and there's nothing you can do about it. It is a fact. And that can be great news for us. God is sovereign. He plans all things and governs all things. And what He intends to come about, the restoration and consummation of all things is going to come about. And that's what we celebrate this season. I want to end with a little poem. And then I'll pray us out. I've been reading Henry Wadsworth Longfellow this kind of year. Um, I don't get as much reading time as I would like, but this is a really neat poem. It's called Christmas Bells. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. In thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as, as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead. Man, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. God, we love you, and we just thank you for doing what you did. And we long for your return, and we just pray that you fill us with a spirit of hope and that that guides us in everything that we do and that we be a people that go and extend that light of hope to the people around us. We love you. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Go in peace.